Welcome to Design Your Life, the podcast where we explore applying design principles to everyday life. I'm your host and founder of Frost Collective, Vince Frost. Today's guest has worked with some of the world's most culturally significant brands, delivering outstanding projects for Amazon, Coca-Cola, and Metallica. Won over 200 design awards, including the DNAD Yellow Pencil, DBA Design Effectiveness, Cannes Lions Grand Prix. He's also had the first ever design accepted in the Clio Hall of Fame and has even won a Grammy. He's a co-founder and co-chairman of a multinational design agency, Turner Duckworth which embodies a simple, playful, inherently unmistakable side of design, cutting through the noise and placing brands at top of mind across media and culture. He was the president of DNAD, has given lectures around the world from Mumbai to Chicago to Luxembourg, loves a ginger nut biscuit, and is a longtime fan of Paul Weller. Great to have you here, Bruce. Yeah, it's good. It's good you're back on English soil at last. Ah, oh, it feels so nice to be here in the summer, British summer. <laughs> it doesn't. It's only three days long. Remember that. No, uh, that's what people keep saying. It's, it seems to last a long time this year. Must be the global warming. Mm-hmm. But a lot's changed for you since we last uh, spoke, and um, it, you know you've been through a lot. You've run a business for 27 years, a very successful business, and you've uh, sold it, I guess, in the last five years. Um, I thought it'd be kind of cool to talk about that in terms of a starting point around the business of design and, you know, the, the transition you're making um, through, you know, growing a, a very successful business, incredibly uh, awarded and, and um, phenomenal clients and um, team that you've got there. You're still on board, obviously, as the mm-hmm. chairman, which is really cool. But maybe talk about that that transition uh, for you, that whether it was deliberate or not or whether you know, what it's been like for you, and then talk about, I guess, more generally about uh, the business of design and how other people could possibly benefit from your learnings. Sure. I mean, I'm a designer like you, right? So mm-hmm. I have almost no business experience at all, except for the stuff that I've learned along the way. Yeah. Uh, you know, David, when David Turner, who's also a British graphic designer, he went to St. Martin's, when we we met at Minali Tattersfield, which was a fantastic design mm. place at the time. And in fact, I was thinking about this the other day, how... Um, you know, those design companies that were sort of pre-internet era, yep. how they kind of, they're not really represented um, properly because Minali Tesco was just truly, you know, fantastic, yeah, right. great ideas, witty, stylish. They had everything going for them. And yet, actually, it's, you know, they're, they're, they're sort of a little bit lost, I think, which is a shame. Um, but we started there as designers and, um, and like every designer, I guess, at some point thinks yeah, it'd be nice to set up on your own at some point. But we didn't really have any um, business experience. Um, and I guess the period, you know, when we started and then we kind of grew, we go through that first period of struggling and trying just to survive and just do something that you're recognized for, something that you can get known for. Um, in that process, we learned about business. And uh, and ultimately, you know, we ended up, um, you know, selling to a, a partner business in uh, Publicis, mm-hmm. uh, which is now five, just over five years ago. Um, and what what I saw is our kind of business got more successful was actually it was so much more fun to be in than when we were struggling and when we were just sort of you know just a couple of us um, mm. and and I I think it would be great to kind of share that knowledge and try and get other designers who you know went to art college and don't have 
accounting degrees or anything like that. It is possible um, to have a successful commercial business as well as one which has critical acclaim. And I, I sort of would love for the famous people, the people who um, students look up to, to be have both those um, strings to their bow, you know, commercial success mm. and critical acclaim. Because quite often it's the case where um, a successful design in terms of design reputation by other designers uh, often is really struggling at making a living out of it. Yeah. And I've all, all, I mean, it's hard. Business is hard full stop. Mm -hmm. I mean, even when you think you've got it right, something happens that kind of screw things up. But definitely over time, through trial and error, through getting advice from other people, you know, mentors, etc., you can break through that and, and get started getting to a better place. Hmm. So yeah, that definitely. better place is the confidence of business, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something that um, we could talk more about. Yeah, I don't really think that, that we have a, you know, if you were to ask, you know, what's the secret of success? I don't know what that is. You mm -hmm. know, I, I really don't know. And I don't know if any of the advice I would give anybody else would be any good, but, it, but kind of on the way we've kind of learned our own style of um, doing business. And, you know, we're still just two, we're two graphic designers. The most important thing to us in our business is our product, you know, without a question. It's always been, you know, if you do great work and you and it's up there with your peers and you're, you're being seen as a, a leading light in design, then your business should kind of look after itself. But you'd need other people to help you do that mm. um, and make sure that it does because it's, it just, it's just awful when you hear great designers who suddenly aren't there any longer because their business has failed. Mm. Um, and really, they should be the ones who are leading the way in every every single sort of aspect. What was a turning point for you guys? I think there's been a few. Um, uh, you know, um, early on, as I say, it was just struggling, just trying to keep going and just trying to do, you know, with um, briefs that had very little creative opportunity, just trying to squeeze every last ounce of uh, creativity out of projects really mm. um in order to kind of try and build a reputation um for creative excellence um and then we had a couple of you know we were kind of um i suppose for the, maybe the first sort of seven or seven five seven years something like that we started to get noticed a little bit um for our creative work and the projects got a little bit bigger um and then we would start to take freelance workers on to try and sort of you know cope with the expanding workload we had and then as the project finished, we'd let them go. And that was a um, that was a kind of, um, it was a sort of sensible, prudent thing to do. It kept the costs under control and things. Um, but we could never build a really great business because all the talent that we brought in, we then let go and they went to work for somebody else. Mm. So I, th I think we had, a, we had an instant where um, we had a, a project, a really, really big project um, that came in and we decided this time we would take a freelance team on, but we wouldn't take them on on a long contract. Um, and they would become full-timers. Mm -hmm. um, and so rather than lose all that talent, we would then build. Um, and uh, and then when the next project, we would do the same again. Mm. And we would grow. Um, and, you, and you think, well, you know, why would you want to grow um, when it's all going fine and you mm -hmm. don't have to, you know, you're doing nice work? And the truth is your staff, you know, you, that you, you grow because your staff grow with you and mm -hmm. they're getting more experience all the time and you know you think you've you've they've been there for five years and then you find out they've been there for 10 years you know yeah <laughs> and you and and they need to be progressing at the same rate as um that they want to then you see some kind of progress in their careers and they've got the talent and so you know if you can grow your business then they can actually take up more senior roles mm. um they can work with you and for you um, and have all the values of your business, um, and uh, and it's just more rewarding. And I think David and I had also decided. David Turner, my, my business partner, had also decided that um, 
you know, we didn't necessarily ever want to grow to be the biggest. The biggest was not, I have no interest in being the biggest. I didn't want to be the richest or anything like that. But what we did want to be was, um, you know, have s some kind of influence in the world of our specialism. So influence was the thing we were trying to get. And we found that if you, the bigger the projects we worked on, if you did them really, really brilliant and you put all your, you know, all your effort in, actually they became quite influential. And people around the world um, kind of had started to hear about us and bigger, bigger, in more interesting projects would, would come our way and want the same. Mm. So influence was the thing we were actually trying to get. So did you, um, did you have, were you guys both running the business or did you have a, a CEO or a, or a general manager or someone like that running? Yeah, we, we, um, we when we started, we, we were very, um, there were just two of us and you know, I don't know, do you know the story about, are you interested in to hear the story how we started? Because, yeah. because of course, David Turner's in, a British guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, but he, uh, he had a very, when we were at Manalit Hatsfield, we kind of said that we probably would start up on our own mm -hmm. at some point. Um, and he, and over a beer at a barbecue, um, he had he said that he'd met a, a girl who lived in um, San Francisco. And he'd started his own very small business, just two employees. And he was thinking of going out to live with her in San Francisco. Mm. And we'd always talked about getting on and doing our own thing. And he said, well, why don't you look after London while I go to San Francisco, see if it's going to work. Um, if it doesn't work, I can always come back. And we'd always wanted to be partners anyway. So, so that's what we did. Um, um, and so he... He was in San Francisco. I was in in London. And 27 years ago, there was there was no internet. There was no email. Yeah. So conversations were every day on the phone, and we yeah, were yeah. faxing ideas across to each other, and we'd work on the same projects. Um. And so I suppose as time's gone on, you know, those two offices have remained the same. We've kind of looked after our own offices. So, um, although we kind of share clients and we share um, knowledge on every project. Um, we actually were both responsible for our own P&L. Um, and we were both 50% partners in each other's businesses. Mm. So it meant that, it, you know, for, uh, for we, we were much better. If the whole was good, then we were both much better. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and so I suppose, you know, we have been very uh, influential in our own businesses running them. Um, and then beneath us or alongside us, we've also had people who are brilliant account people who have made sure that, for God's sake, don't get David and Bruce in front of the client talking about money because they'll probably do it for nothing. <laughs> so, um, so we've had people who've 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 been there who've said, actually, you know, you guys step out of the room now. Now we need to figure out how we're going to make it work on a commercial mm. basis. And they are the, the people who you need in your business to do yeah. that. And if you think of an advertising agency, they often start with that. You know, a new business person, yeah. an account person, a creative person. Um, it, it's not often the case in design, actually. No. Um, but it, I, th I think what has been our strength is that we've, because we're both designers, the creative product has always been the most important thing. Um, and the people alongside us have kind of, you know, made sure that it works financially. So the product's still the most important thing. Hmm. And what, what size did they grow to? They're both equal sizes in New York. Uh, there's New York as well now, isn't there? There is New York now, yeah. I mean, Lon yeah. London and San Francisco. Um, we're about 110 people hmm. in total. Um, and we're about 35 each in. Um, San Francisco and London. Is that a magic reasons. number? Um, not really. No, I don't know why. And we we had often we had this sort of uh, sort of collaborative uh, competition that would happen between David and myself. Like we would want each our own studio to be doing better work and um, you know to, uh, and winning more awards than the other studio. So there was always a kind of um, you know everything you know one side did the other would you know would would at least uh, match. Um, mm. 
I mean, it was very friendly. It's not not competition in a horrible way, just in a kind of, you know, it would be fun if we, uh, you know, we did better work this year and we got more awards this year in our studio than your studio. And so there was a sort of very positive kind of collaboration that happened. And I think we just got to 35 and it, it felt about right. We just never got any sort of bigger in those studios. There's also... Um, you know, we, at that kind of point, we were about 70 people. That was when we sold to publicists. And one of the reasons we sold was the idea of getting a more global footprint. We kind of imagined that there would be a demand for our kind of work um, on a larger scale in different places. But we were aware that, you know, you know, we didn't... If you're your, your own business owner, to start a new office is actually quite a financial commitment. Oh, yeah. Um, and we felt that and risk uh, and risky. You know, we'd never done it before. Although we'd had these two offices, they we'd, we'd always had them. Um, and the thought of a new office, you know, you know, we didn't really know how to do it. So that was one of the reasons we were looking for partners to help us do that. Mm. So it's interesting too. The the often you hear in the industry uh, a business, whether it's an advertising company, design company, or whatever, selling to a, a media business. And for it to go quite soon, it's going to go tits up mm -hmm. or fall up, fall apart after yes. the person, after the founders leave. Mm -hmm. But you've had a, a five-year earnout, and you're still there as the chairman. Yeah, um, it looks like one of these rare occasions where this is a success. Mm. I mean, I think that uh, we wanted to make sure that it would be a success. I think that you know there are definitely founders who would take the money and run mm. um th that was never really our ambition our ambition was to see how far we could get it to go um and i think when you're um, you know companies that buy you they're interested in you know maintaining what's good about you they bought you for a reason so yep. they, they need the work to be good and and if you've always been you know a good business that's reasonably profitable then they want to keep you reasonably profitable they want to, they want to screw that up so um you know during our earnout period we, we we've grown and we've and we've kept our creative standards. So we've kind of been largely left alone um, to, you know, what do you want to do next? Um, and they'll try and help us the best they can. So, yeah, I think, I mean, yeah, th th there are, of course, um, compromises that you make. Well, they work in a different way, right? They have different reporting standards. They're, they're in, but but for, for David and myself, we, we sort of got other people to do all that stuff. <laughs> and mm -hmm. we carried on working in the way we've always worked, which was to just concentrate on the, business on the work you know mm. make sure that's good how, how, how vital were you for the the new business uh driving of the business was that your responsibility in the end or did that would you hand it over to someone else marketing or something no no we've we've um you know our it's, it's rather shameful our um new business activity i think actually these days we're better organized than we were but our new business activity was basically our clients Having it, us doing a good job, mm -hmm. and then they're moving, and then we tended to work Referral. for them, and the referral business tended to we tended to grow with our company, which uh, with their companies. And I think when you look at how slowly we grew over twenty seven years, that's probably the reason why. I mean, it wasn't that we didn't want to do new business; we just didn't really know how. And um, I think you know one of the one of the things we did, and I think is a you know is, is a good piece of advice to anyone trying to set up your business is you know to spend so much of your time focusing on your creative reputation and by getting a reputation um, people start to hear about you and they start to hear about you for the right reasons you know for good creative work and you know quality and you know being honest and decent kind of people and then and then your business will grow because of that mm -hmm. um, and and actually I, I kind of when I was um, involved with DNAD a few years ago a couple of years ago that was one of 
the things that I think so so kind of key about awards and award ceremonies for design companies is that yeah you know, I realise that our um, you know our pretty much our marketing, our recruitment, and our reputation, um, all our publicity was actually created through winning awards. Mm. Um, and although people think see it as an expense and you shouldn't you know is it really worth it and you never win one even when you do enter actually when you do if you if if you are consistent enough with your product and you do win often enough and actually it, it's got a very very multifaceted benefit to your business mm. yeah it's interesting because I, I, the conversation i had prior uh with alan i mean obviously the, the, there can be some skepticism around awards and understanding whether they are actually true value anymore mm. Um, in a world which is very different to what it was, sure. you know, 20 and, years and, ago. And I'm also speaking about someone who's doing this from 20 years ago, you know. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so, I, so maybe I'm kind of uh, oh, you know, no, stuck in my ways, but it certainly, it yeah, but it worked. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, it worked. Yeah, it worked. And you know, what you really want is um, what we always wanted was uh, clients who'd come to us because they'd just go, "Yeah, you do great work." Um, and, uh, and they'd be huge, so they'd have plenty of money. Yeah. And then you think, well, if I can do great work and and get paid well for it, then surely that's the the formula. A real standout was the the Coke. Mm-hmm. Um, was it rebranding or was it the, just the, all the packaging? Yeah, it was. Well, and it was the comms the, and everything, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was the visual identity mm-hmm. um, for Coke um, in North America to begin with, um, and then it rolled out um, pretty much around the world. Um, it was an extraordinary time for us that. Um, mm-hmm. It was actually uh, a realization. It was a, because we were packaging guys, right? We knew our packaging very well, and and they and Coca Cola um, actually, uh, you know, they have their iconic bottle and can and all that kind of stuff, uh, which we had cleaned up and made look much more beautiful. Because Coke was really known for quite bad design before, or you know, very unremarkable design, mm-hmm. and and we realized that that bit was um, that was kind of that wasn't too difficult to do that part. But then you realize that, that Coke is on um, promotion. You know, it's got something's been given away free or they've got some kind of, you know, summer promotion or winter or, or some kind of sponsorship they're doing for 40% of their time. So the beautiful thing that you designed that you thought was going to be seen everywhere is actually not seen all the time everywhere because, mm. you know, a lot of the time it's not even there. You know, it's been given to some, you know, other agency who aren't necessarily packaging specialists to sort out some kind of promotion. Mm. Um, and so our, I, th- I think what made Coke so successful um, for us was that we would then t- we actually did all that promotional work as well. Uh, but instead of it being a distraction from the main brand, we made it a kind of a good idea and bounced off the graphics that we'd mm. already communicated for the core brand. So it kind of everything, everything all year round looked great, um, rather than just the the stuff you enter for design awards. And it was it was amazing. You know, we went from. Um, you know, that's the. Yeah, I think it still is the biggest brand in the world. Mm. And I went on a. You, you know, I was some a sort of frustration, I suppose, of mine sometimes is that, um, you know, the stuff that we that we that we design and we put out there and we take all this kind of care and attention over uh, looks good. But then somehow you go into market and you look at it, mm. and it never looks quite as good as you thought. Or somebody screwed up something, or the kerning is terrible. Yeah. Or the, you know, all these kind of things yeah. are just frustrations. Um, and I think with what was what was great about Coke was that because the creative standard was create uh, was was achieved, then other designers around the world who were implementing a lot of what we did and doing their own promotions as well saw what could be achieved, and then kind of raised their game. Mm. So an example was when I went to um, went on holiday to Peru, and uh, with my family, and I got off the plane, 
And there was this, um, there's, a, there's a logo we designed, with, which is an iconic bottle with a bent bit of script that says uh, Coca-Cola on it, which is actually a new trademark for them. Mm-hmm. And uh, the visual identity used that a lot. And I, and I got off the plane and there was this huge poster and it said, Welcome to Peru. Um, and it was all created through the negative space of these logos, you know, large, small. It looked like a kind of snowstorm of um, Coke logos. And I, and I looked at it and I didn't see it at first. And then I caught it through the kind of peripheral vision. And I thought, my God, that's brilliant. You know, I didn't see what it said. Now I see it. And my kids are going, oh, my dad, did you do that? And I was like, so I texted David Turner and I said, hey, David, who did this? It's great. And sent him a picture. He said, I don't know who did that. It's somebody else. <laughs> and so, um, so that was a real sort of sign of, you know, that kind of visual identity really getting into um, mm. designers around the world. And, and I think, you know, our work um, inspired them to do really great stuff around the That's world. Fantastic. It was It was very rewarding. And, and I think it was to do, actually, a, you know, come back to the awards thing. It was a lot to do with the fact that, the designers in some of these places just believe that because a client hasn't accepted great work before that, that you can't do great work for them. And then when they saw us win awards with everything, then they, everybody wanted to be part of that team. Mm. Um, and so for a while it went well. well I mean, it's so, you basically just simplified it too, didn't yeah. you? Yeah. Paired it all back. I, I mean, it's still very much Coke. That's mm. the cool thing about Coke is it still looks today like it, I mean, the heritage is still there, mm. even though it looks modern yeah. and well. There was, a, there was a period, certainly, where we became a sort of, uh, you know, people would say, oh, you know, people are doing a turn of Duckworth, which meant simpli- simplifying things down. But, mm. you know, it was when you've got a... I remember having the Coca-Cola logo on the screen, thinking this is probably one of the greatest bits of graphic design ever. Mm. You, know, you know, why would you cover it up in drop shadows and, you know, funny colours and bubbles and, you know, when you could just look at this beautiful piece of design... Yeah. And I think that was the, you know, it really did, it was kind of less definitely, we added to it, the better it got. You did Amazon as well, didn't you? Mm. And that was in, yes, Amazon's 20, 20 years ago now. Wow. So when it first started? No, it wasn't when it first started. It was when it moved from an online bookseller um, to selling everything. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, when, when we did it, we did it, it was a sort of, um, I think it was 97, something like that. Mm-hmm. And it was at the back end of the dot-com boom had just gone bust and but you know jeff bezos and and amazon were expanding and um and i remember we whatever the magazine of the day i think it was probably design week um you know it was on the third page was a little bit news bit that said turned up with redesign the amazon logo i mean it was a big deal but it, when you think of the scale, if someone had done it today, what this, you know, it, was a, it would oh, be yeah. most definitely a cover story. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was a different time, I think. Um, and, and I'm kind of delighted and slightly surprised they haven't uh, redesigned it by now. I saw it on the side of a plane the other day. And mm. I was thinking, hmm, that's pretty nice. Do you, did you often get involved with having conversations with people like Jeff? Were you, were you um, talking to the head of the organization? I or? think so, yeah, definitely. I mean, David actually was, you know, he was working on that project. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he had the conversation with Jeff Bezos. Yeah, absolutely. His uh, his quote, which was great, you know, when they showed the uh, the, the the team around the table, the um, the concept with the smile in it, you know, it was, uh, and his head of consumer research said, um, you know, do you, uh, we, we should probably research this. This is a big deal. We should research this. And Jeff Bezos said, "Listen, mate, if you don't like this, you don't like puppies. We'll, we'll do it." <laughs> so our, our our sort of design, which we'd expect for someone like Amazon, to maybe take six months to go through. Actually, into a couple of meetings, and it was the job done, and wow. it was out the door. And um, I learned the other day that it had been printed a hundred billion times on packaging, wow. hundred billion times. I was thinking, 
you know, um, maybe we should introduce that copyright, <laughs> that sort of uh, royalty yeah, yeah. <laughs> idea again. Okay. That'd be cool. Unfortunately, Actually, I was going to ask you around about what's your position on sustainability? Because mm. obviously as designers and certainly packaging designers, mm. you have an opportunity to push that and reduce packaging. Mm. Uh, um, you know, when it when sustainability first started, recyclability. I mean, it's it's just such a massive problem. Um, mm. And absolutely, you know, what we do is stick labels on bottles, which is not good for anybody. Um, when it first started, the whole conversation about this maybe 10 years ago, um, there was a, a move to reduce packaging. So instead of, you know, a plastic tray with an outer sleeve, you don't need the outer sleeve let's just print the plastic tray and to or reduce the amount of colors or take the foil off or whatever it was um and clients loved it because it was not only better for the environment but it was also cheaper mm -hmm. um the next stage we get to um is m much more much more difficult because how do you reduce it again um i mean i think consumers will vote with their feet eventually you know they really don't you know, and I think we've all become so much more aware of what we throw away that it's it's a different thing. Um, and 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 our position is that working for some of the biggest companies in the world, you have to use as much as you possibly can of your influence to change them. Mm -hmm. I remember, uh, I think um, when we were working on Coke, they reduced the thickness of the side of the, of the wall of aluminium of the aluminium can, and it saved like a mountain of aluminium because of the quantities they were producing, mm -hmm. the billions and billions they were producing. Um, beyond that, I think people have got to change the way that they, they are, you know, I mean, I think, you know, um, I was at Glastonbury this year and they didn't serve plastic water bottles. And so in three days, uh, they saved the planet burying th uh, a million, apparently that's what their estimate was a million plastic bottles. So it's not the fact that we can't do it, but we have to change our habits. Mm. Absolutely. Um, and I think that's the, it, it's a big problem. And I think a lot of big consumer, you know, fast moving consumer goods businesses are based on convenience. And mm. it is less convenient to be more sustainable. But I think we have to kind of make that change. Do you think that it's the designers that created that kind of excessive packaging versus the client? I think it was time? the market. I mean, you know, the, 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 the more the, is more. I think there's just a, it's just a need for convenience. Um, and, uh, and, you know, that they were successful. They wouldn't do it if they weren't successful. Yeah. Um, and so, so I think it's a market that's driving it. Um, but, but, you know, I, I see my kids as you know, just me, you know, I look at it and I just go, this is crazy. I came out of Glastonbury with a great view of not using, uh, one use single use plastics uh, for at least a month. And I managed to get to the service station and fill up with fuel. And that was it. <laughs> that was it blown. Yeah, because there's just nothing you can buy that isn't covered in plastic. Oh yeah. Um, so, but I think it's a it's 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 a mindset change. It's a it's a retail. Um, yeah, the retail has to change. Mm. And it's it's people have to get used to less convenient things. I think it. Is, I mean, it is changing. It's on the news every day. Mm. You know, people talk about the climate. People are reducing plastics, and uh, you know, back in Australia, there's like they've got rid of all the plastic bags in supermarkets. Mm -hmm. Straws have been banned. Mm -hmm. Like some countries, I think LA, I think it is, has, has banned the water bottle or the, okay. you know, whatever. So I think that, you know, the consumers making the change, uh, which is cool. It yeah. is about changing habits. It's yeah. less convenient, but you just relearn how to do things yeah, differently. Absolutely. 
let's talk go back talk about kind of the business of design again because i think that's something that's really we both share the kind of passion for that um what did you do in terms of i mean you both set up in two different countries yeah um but who who did you bring around you like did you have did you have mentors or coaches business advisors to, yeah just bounce off each other how, how did it, how did it kind of work because obviously people listening in who may be considering starting a business or or in a business that they're kind of struggling to make uh make work yeah what would you advise we um we tried uh, a few business consultants and they were you know highly recommended by all the right people recommended us and and we had limited success i'd say with them uh, one of the first guy we used actually suggested his his big reveal business plan was to uh, not um it was to close the office in san francisco so that was clearly wow. not a great move um ultimately we we worked with a coach and he said to us uh because we were based in two different countries and wherever we had these kind of coaching meetings, one of us would be jet lagged and one of us would, you know, be away from home and, you know, it just, they just didn't seem to work. Um, and he suggested a, a coaching company based in Toronto, uh, which turned out to be equidistant from London and San Francisco. So you're both knackered. So we're both knackered. Yeah. We're both in the same place. Yeah. And, um, and he said, and, and, you know, he'd had another client who tried them and had loved it. And so we, we went on this, um, it was a kind of coaching workshop, um, mm. which, which was David and I remember thinking, this is just so unlike what we want to do. Mm. Um, but it cost us a, quite a lot of money, so we felt we had to do it. And it was, we, we actually, it was every, uh, we met once every three months. Um, and we did it for five years. Wow. Um, and Jeez. everything that we that we said we would do, we did pretty much. We, we were, we were very, we were a bit lax with our homework and that kind of thing, but we, we took their advice. Um, it was workshops. There were other people with totally different businesses, but in a similar situation from, you know, businesses that were, um, you know, maybe, um, had a successful product, but couldn't quite make enough money or, or, or people who were struggling to know how to open offices. And, and you were, you were, you were sort of divided into different experience and different, um, uh, wage brackets so that the people you, you were dealing with who were in your groups were all of a similar, had similar problems. Mm -hmm. And I think the very top group, which we never actually got to, <laughs> you know, they were deciding whether to use private planes, whether that was better than, you know, oh, wow. <laughs> you know, so, so it was, but it was a very successful thing. And their sort of mantra was, you know, work less and earn more. Mm. <laughs> and, um, that's appealing. Kind of, which is, which is a, it hooked us straight away, if you imagine. <laughs> yeah. What font was that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Kerning all right? Yeah, yeah, really. The message was a good one. Um, and, and you know, the, the basic principle was that if you could get your business to be a self-managing business um, and you had enough and you had your own goals and you had your own values that you were trying to um, keep, that you could spend more time doing the things that you were good at and less time doing the things that either you weren't interested in or weren't any good at. Mm. and employ people around you to do those things um, because actually all the things that I find really dull somebody else finds really interesting yeah. and, you know do they teach you about was it like about restructuring about business plans all that not so much it was more about um, the uh, our personal ambition and then how to get your business to to structure itself around you to make you better at what you do mm. um, and uh yeah, so that that was the kind of way it worked, and really to you know to get you out of the mire of this sort of um, they call it a ceiling of complexity, which is a crazy kind of um, you know it was TM I think on the end of it as well, um, and they'd say that you know the harder you work, um, the more tired you get, and they say and and you can't work any harder and you can't earn any more money, 
So, so what's the future? And mm. they, and then they said, have you ever noticed? Have you ever noticed the more tired you get, the more stupid other people get? And they went, God, I, yeah, I have noticed that. I really have like this. Mm. And of course, it's the truth: is the more tired you get, the less leadership you give, uh, the less perspective on projects on your business you have. So you need to get out of that, yeah. you know, through that ceiling, um, in order to be able to work on the business properly mm -hmm. and let everybody else do their job, and they'll be happier. Mm. Um, you know, and you'll be less grumpy. Well, that is an interesting. That's what three every three months for five years. Yeah, in what? different we we with mostly in Toronto, but sometimes they were in L.A. They oh. they were they were all over the place. Um, and, but we would always meet, and we would, you know, and that's when we decided to, you know, grow the company, and when we decided that perhaps we should sell the company. Um, all were, those things. Were you? Did you start that because you were frustrated with the business? You like you were just working your working hard and tired and grumpy and all yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, I mean, I, that was I, it. I've got like that many times over yeah, the course yes. of my career. All designers have. I think yeah. all business owners have. Yeah, um, and it's true that you know the first three years, eighty percent, eighty percent of businesses fail. Mm. Um, but we seem to kind of persevere and looking for that kind of magic solution or or the help that's going to make that difference. Mm. One thing that I learned was that uh, I worked with a lady uh, called Leslie. Um, and she was based in Adelaide and I'd Skype her once a month, or once a week actually in the beginning. And she used to work with a guy called Michael Gerber out of um, the States and he did, wrote a book called The E-Myth. Mm. And it was really interesting because she taught me about the transitioning from working in the business to working on the business. And I didn't understand that for a long time and I fought against her for a long time even though I was paying her yeah. a lot of money to advise me. I just didn't want to accept the change, because a change for designer from being hands-on designer, the craft of design, the creative direction, etc., to then shifting towards letting others do that and, and to be focusing on the direction of the business, even though I, I've, I've always owned the business, I didn't act as a owner of a business, I acted as a designer in a business. And that transition was really, really hard for me. Yeah. And it, it eventually happened, but but I, it definitely didn't feel like the right thing to do at the time. It felt yeah. like I was resisting it. I could see the future could be better, but I was I was used to doing things a certain way. Mm. Definitely, was this that, is a very similar story. Yeah. I mean, I, th I I would say that that we probably implemented twenty percent of what we were, what what people thought it was the our coaching team thought was the right amount to mm. implement. So it took us probably I don't know five times longer than it should have done to do that because we we cared so much about our product yeah. and about our people and we didn't want to let go what was what if there was a magic formula somehow we yeah, lost yeah. in the process um but eventually we did and then the transition of moving away from just working you know working and looking heads down you know head down onto projects and looking up and seeing the world for all its uh, opportunities mm. um the reward was that we found that our staff were really good at what they were doing and that if we gave them more responsibility, they actually behaved brilliantly with it. Um, and and to see them come on, it sounds like a bit of a cliche, but it's almost like being a teacher, right? Mm. Seeing your pupils do well. Yeah. Um, and they weren't kind of, you know, we didn't, it wasn't really a teacher relationship at all. No. But 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 it, the pride of seeing actually people we were employing better, who became better than us, um, then, you know, that was worth it. And, oh, that, and, and then you're a business, right? And then you're a business, yeah. and somehow we we gone from being two guys who were who you know who everyone thought did everything um, to a business, and when, you know for the last 
sort of quite a few years. You know, we've been involved in and out of projects when mm. when kind of problems happened usually. Mm. But really, the reputation that is there now has been created by the people who are, who are still there working on it. And that's really I, I similar situation. I feel so I guess I feel so good about seeing my my team thriving like that because mm. uh, I know when I was you know I'm sure I was a I was a nightmare. I mean, I was yeah, involved. Yeah, I didn't actually hear that. Yeah, yeah we would. <laughs> Rumors spread fast. <laughs> but I remember hiring great people, but then I'd be working on every single project and not deliberately controlling, but because I've been used to, from the day one, working by yourself, it's quite a transition to kind of get into delegating or walking away from projects. I had nothing to do with that, but yeah. it's still bloody great. Yeah, yeah. That's you know, because a, there's a point where you go, yeah. I can't risk it. In the beginning, you go, I can't risk you screwing up this project. Yes, absolutely, because we're all kind of, you know, as designers, we're we're all we all know we're one day away from being or one job away from being found out we're no good, right? <laughs> <laughs> or is that just me? Yeah, well, it's control too. It's control. It's the the gratification of being wanted, like somebody wanting you to do something. So there is a reward for that. You you want to impress. You want to come up with an idea that people go, "Oh my God, that's amazing." Um. And then you're giving that away to others. So your your satisfaction is then shifts from the reward of actually cracking a project to actually leading a business, um, you know, bringing in the right person in addition to the business, you know, yeah. whether it's HR or systems or acquiring another business, whatever it might be. The the business becomes your biggest design project. Mm. You know what I mean? It's yeah, like, it is a design still a design project. It's still a problem to be solved. Yeah. Um, and you can surround yourselves with people who can act, you know, make it happen. Um, but the vision is becomes more and more important, particularly as you get bigger, you know, and, yeah. and, and you've got to think of your, you know, you are as good as your staff and your, and who are working for you and the guy, your kind of co-workers. Um, and they've got to feel uh, genuine sort of, they, you know, they've got to want to love to work on the projects you're giving them mm. and, and they've got to feel some kind of um, reward for it. And often it's a creative reward. So you guys have set the standards, set, set the vision, mm. created the environment, hire the right people that are obviously aligned with that yeah. to enable it to thrive. That's exactly what the, if if that actually happened, that would be great. Of course, we have not employed quite the right people. We haven't Sometimes, re released yeah. it enough, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, so there's no, there's not really a perfection there at all. Um, mm. But, but you know, we try, we progress, mm. not perfection. I know what it's like when you've hired, well, when one's hired a person that you know isn't the right person for the business, even, we've got about 50 people in Sydney. Um, is that that one person can actually take years off your life or, yeah. or your business. You could have create a bad atmosphere or you have multiple people leaving because of that person. And I mean, that, I found that time and time again. Mm. Something that I've learned recently is mm. just we had the, acting that fast. We had the, um, the, uh, the, Bruce, um, the Bruce interview uh, uh, question, which is always, um, we had this, like what I really wanted to, we, we never really employed any prima donnas. Um, I mean, what, you know, one or two had a, a little bit of that, but but really they were all good guys, you know, and girls. And uh, you, I'd say the question is, you've always got to think about this, is that when we sit down for our Christmas party at the end of the year and we all have a big party dinner and we all get drunk, um, <laughs> I'm always late because I'm always on the phone to bloody California, you know, so um, 
to David. So I'll always be the last one there. And I've always got a seat next to the person no one else wants to sit next to. <laughs> and I said, so you, people listening as long in as you, yeah, yeah. will know who <laughs> yes, that exactly, was. Exactly. Which so as long side as you of can, you? Yes, exactly. Well, both often. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so as long as you can guarantee that if I have to sit next to those people, they're going to be really good guys for the Christmas party, then I'm happy. Ah, so that was a sort of personality good approach. test. <laughs> I like that. Well, how would you advise other people starting out or people that are struggling with businesses today to what should they do next? I think um, that's a big question. I know yeah, but it's really, really maybe, big one. But maybe it's not that difficult. Maybe it's not that complicated because it's actually pretty sound business advice, isn't yeah, it? Which is I what I is. resisted. You know, yes, and, and you know, the people who are also doing our coaching course with us, um, you know, to start with I should mention that that my father and David Turner's father both had their own businesses. So uh, for years, we would ask them what to do. Not together. Not together. No, 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 <laughs> separately. So for a while, it was known as the Jeff and Mike Company because that was our parents' names. Ah. And they had, well, there was no investment or anything. It was just purely advice. But we did have that sort of, um, you know, the, the gene in our body that said, you've got to go out and do something at some point. Um, and you can do it. And you can do it. And actually, yeah. it's, it can be fun. And, it's, uh, and, it's, and it is actually way more fun than being employed. Yeah. Um, so we did have that. Um, and I think that when we started, we made a lot of mistakes that were to do with uh, concentrating too much on our work um, and not concentrating enough on on the money. And uh, our, we were very quick to employ um, account people who helped us enormously get what we deserve to be paid for the work that we were doing. Um, and I would suggest that that is the first thing you need to do is to not relinquish necessarily ownership of the company for that, um, because we didn't. We were always 50-50 partners mm. in the business, or certainly decision-making, we were 50-50 partners, uh, which meant that creativity was always have the, you know, if there's ever a question between money and creativity, creativity always won because of that. Um, but we, you do need somebody who's not directly emotionally attached to the work and doesn't have to actually do the work. Um, who is going to be um, doing your quotes and mm. making sure you get paid and you get paid on time. And sometimes, you know, I would go in and if there was a great project, I'd be like, I don't care what we're going to charge for this. We've just got to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but some of those are the biggest projects in the world and you just can't, you know, you need to have a sustainable business. It's, it's actually, I remember my father saying to me, I remember them, we were working at the time for Schweppes, as many, maybe we were five or six years old as a company. Um, and and I said, oh, you know, there was recession hitting, and I think at the time we were charging something like nine thousand pounds for a stage one uh, concept um, uh, work, and and they said to me, oh, everybody else will do it for five thousand. You need to drop your prices, and um, and I I said to my dad, I don't know what I do because you mm. know it's true they are all dropping their prices, and he said. He said, just explain to them if, that if you drop your prices to £5,000, like everybody else's, that you'll go bust. And he said, and the worst service you'll ever have is letting you down in the middle of the project by going bust. Mm. So this is only reflective of the amount of time we're going to spend. Um, and I remember that was a bit of a moment for me because I thought, yeah, no, he's right. It's not, it's, it's not like we're trying to be greedy. We're just trying to make sure we have a sustainable business, which is good for them in the long run yeah. as well as for us. Actually, that's, yeah, that's a similar story. Um, with me was that I love helping people and you know every opportunity comes our way I would do it for nothing because I don't like discussing money mm. um, and that's taken us into all kinds of terrible territory we've gone almost bankrupt at times where I've taken on so many pro bono projects and charities and arts organizations because 
you don't often designers don't value the financial benefit or the 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 power of design or the contribution towards the success of that business and um you know i've i've, I've noticed that if you, my guys get firm and go you know vince no you can't take on that job there's, there's no money um um, I mean, sometimes, of course, they, we negotiate, we get to a better situation, but by stopping that, the floodgates of pro bono work, um, I've actually got a much better business now because mm. my people are focusing on, um, you know, an, uh, an equal benefit, yeah. beneficial situation where both parties benefit from it. I mean, I used to say it was like, you know, what we need, you know, what we need is a, a mixed diet, right? You know, mm. you... You need, you know, in your diet, you need, you know, good staples, but you also need vitamin supplements and all sorts of, you know, spices and everything else. And you need projects that kind of act like a mixed, a mixed diet. Have the mm -hmm. big guys, you know, you can do mm. pro bono stuff, but the pro, but but you you must only do it. Um, you know, you mustn't, you know, the big guys mustn't pay for the little guys because that's no. just disingenuous. Yeah, you know, yeah. you, everything must. Um, yeah, you're not Robin Hood. You can't do that because it's just unfair on the on the clients. Mm. Yeah, because often that time spent on the the free jobs actually interferes with the work you're doing on yeah, the bigger yeah. jobs. Yeah, and and you know we we would have um, maybe from time to time we'd have, you know, when we're working on these really huge projects, um, you know, there it is it is difficult to keep people motivated to keep doing great work on projects that do last a long time, and we mm. were very aware of that. So you could you, we you know would work on a kind of you'd have a few months on and then you'd go off and you'd work on other projects. So sometimes those were the sort of the pro bono projects to kind of like you, you know you need stuff to go in your head as well as mm. you need a lot of stuff to go in for a little to come out usually yeah do you guys um have i presume you have strategists in the team as well do you we, we do actually um yeah we do have planners um yeah, and it's, it's a relatively uh, yeah we call them planners but um it's a relatively recent thing and there's actually only th two or three actually that we have for the whole of the team we found a lot of the time that um in order for a project to be resolved and an, an answer that actually designers themselves are often extremely good strategists um and and that there was a there was sometimes a, a disconnect between great planning that clients love that we saw from other agencies um and then the work never looked great <laughs> at mm. the end of it. You know, it was yeah, a yeah. great, great strategic idea, but it never really translated visually. Yeah. Um, and so the the idea for for us was always to um, to have strategy and design working together. Yeah. So you made sure that that the end result was still going to be as great as it could be, but it still had that robustness of the strategic uh, thought behind it. Um, and so so actually we have a very light touch um, strategic input and. And we don't work in, you know, what they, we work together in a kind of, you know, it goes from one side of the room to the other side of the room hmm. to make sure that the two things, uh, you know, work absolutely together. Yeah, we do the same thing. I think that what I found interesting was when we added strategy to the business is that our clients seem to be far more confident in commissioning the strategy hmm. than the design previously. Um, same with customer experience strategy, same with UX, et cetera. They want... They, they're happy to, to, you know, charge almost the same amount of money for as we do for the design for that part of it. Um, I just think it helps their confidence and understanding mm -hmm. that. Um, that oh, well, I think it, right. yeah. I mean, we we do have we've had some good, really good results with that that process. Yeah, mm. but we do mostly it's designers working as sort of strategists and creatives at yeah, the same yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just the I think designers aren't great at explaining their 
strategy. No. I mean, not 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 saying your guys are, but often they're not um, yeah. very articulate. No, no, you're absolutely right. Um, but I don't know if it's all about fancy words and all that. I think it's just about you know, you don't really. I I never thought actually you'd ever sort of selling an idea. I've never really thought about a design process needing to be sold as such i think mm. it just needs to be explained explained yeah and it sells um, itself it, it, i think it does i think if, and if you if you have to work too hard at trying to sell it then it probably isn't the right solution no, no, exactly know? totally agree so, so um i think in our in, in the process of us kind of gr uh, growing there were a couple of sort of what we called oh shit moments <laughs> that we've had over the years there was one for a where there was a DIY chain um called Homebase um, mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember them yeah and um we um, we always had this uh, policy of no free pitching that was a big thing and uh, and so uh, Homebase came to us and they said probably 15 years ago and said um, will you do all our packaging we you know we're looking for a new an agency to do all our packaging and it's a you know it's a big project um and you know and you'll be you're one of six companies that are going to pitch um and so i went to the home base store this which is a diy um, mm. store all over the world was i think it's actually got funnily enough gone um, recently gone bust but at the time it was quite successful and um and i looked around and i thought you know they've they've never bought any good design in their entire business history as far as i can see mm -hmm. and so i so we went back to them i said right well for, just to let you know we don't pitch for nothing he said all the other companies are pitching for nothing i said well I'm afraid they can't participate. Sort of secretly hoping maybe that we wouldn't go any further. Mm. And they said, well, how much do you... Ch and we told them what our pitch fee was. And they said, well, if we have to pay you, it means we have to pay everybody else. And I said, well, that's your business, but, you know, but that's what we'll do it for. I said, okay. Well, anyway, so, I, you know, I, I thought if we're going to do this, we've got to do it to a, to a style. Um, the work has got to be of a standard that if we actually do get the project, that it's going to have to be the best thing we've ever done. So we did this pitch. Um... We got paid, and we won the project. Later, I found out, by the way, they didn't pay the other agencies. They only paid us, mm. um, which is something psychology in there somewhere, right? But um, And then my, my team, you know, who had always been very kind of supportive, said, you've just sold out. You know, you guys have sold out. Oh, this is going to be there. This is going to be the worst thing ever. And so that, you know, gave me the kind of, I suppose, a competitive nature I've got. <laughs> says, well, I'll show you kind of thing. And so, so we actually employed a group of freelancers who later became full-time and very good designers um, to, to do all the work. And it be, in the end became our most awarded project. Wow. And all of the, the team that were, you know, resistant at the beginning, don't put me on that project, you know, were the ones who wanted to get on it. So that was a kind of, you know, those kind of, you know, taking on that project with a view that we could make this work, we're finding ourselves in a situation, you know, of, um, of people questioning the reputation was a, was a good um, impetus to make sure that it, it happened. The other one was, of course, Coke. You know, when we took that on, everyone, a lot of our, you know, people thought we were just literally selling out, hmm. and we and we kind of turned that one around as well. And then, of course, the, the other one was when we we sold the business. You know, people thought, oh, you've just sold out, but we really hadn't. I mean, we we were really genuinely trying to gr see what the potential of our business could possibly be. Uh, by trying to find like-minded people who could help us do that. And, you know, when you're a part of a big company, you know, they, they've they got offices all over the world and they can sort of, you know, you can always borrow a bit of space and a bit of space here and a bit of space there and you can try it out. Um, yeah. And it doesn't, the risk is less. Yeah. Um, so we had a lot of those shit moments. What does it feel like now? 
it feels an, um, there's a sort of circularity with starting a business from literally zero with no borrowing and no experience. And there's a sort of circle of life thing that happens of a business, I suppose. And and the sale and the ultimate conclusion of the sale um, feels very rewarding. It feels like a complete, like it feels at last I know I might know what I'm talking about. Mm. But now what? Um, I, know, I know David's been skiing in Aspen for quite some time. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, I think both he and I have uh, have definitely taken a, a, you know, we're an advisors to the business now. We're not sort of hands-on executives. So we're we're definitely going to um, remain involved, um, but in that advisory capacity. And we've both definitely taken a year, and we're not going to design anything. A few of my friends have said, does that mean you can, you'll do it for nothing? And I was like, really? <laughs> what have you what have I been talking about for the last 27 years? Oh, my God. Um but uh, but there is something that is you know we've often said that you know being a designer is people say oh, it's, a, it's a talent or you know and but I think you know often it's a curse as well mm. um, because it is a lifestyle you know and the, you do I do miss elements of it you know when you first hear about that great brief and the excitement of starting it that's great mm. the realization of having to do it is always a bit scary mm. and then that you know the the moment as you go into the meeting and you know you've got you know, a solution that is going to knock the socks off. And mm. that's exciting. And then the yeah. excitement of it just before it comes out and seeing it out there. You can't really beat that. And I don't think that, that'll ever stop. So I can imagine you haven't heard the end of it, you know. Yeah, yeah. Be around. Do you think, I mean, I, I often say that I've got a monkey mind. I mean, my mind is always on and yeah. um, seeing opportunities everywhere and things that could be better and all that. Do you, do you think that way as well? Yeah. It's hard, isn't it? Because think about your own. Let's talk about your own well-being. How did mm. you, after all these years, you look incredibly healthy? Mm-hmm. Um, you. Got all so your you. you got all your hair. Damn it! Yeah. Um, <laughs> what 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 have you done in your life in terms of like keeping that uh, looking after yourself? I think you've just got to. Yeah, I think part of the coaching thing was to um, realize that that um, work isn't everything, mm-hmm. um, and design isn't everything you know the um and you know and to think about your health and to think about your family and to think about your well-being um with as much as importance as you put into your business um you know that realization and and, you know as uh, you know i'm 55 56 so um you have a few friends who get a bit ill and you know have problems Mm. and you think actually let's make sure that's not going to be me so Mm. um you haven't done all this for for that to happen so um so yeah, I think you just have a balance. I think even when I was at college, thinking all the way back there, you know, I was always a I was a big um, sailor and windsurfer for a while, and I always had design and something else. Mm. I, I've never really just. I mean, there were some people who just you know would go and I don't know cast type at the weekends. I wasn't one of those. <laughs> I was you know doing sport or doing something outside. So you always had a balance. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I yeah. think you need to. I think you've got to put stuff in, right? You can't. Spend your whole life just sucking your brain dry. You've yeah, but no, I, I, I agree with that. Now, I mean, I definitely that's why I wrote the book "Design Your Life." Was just because I, I realized that I was, um, I didn't have any form of balance, which really was more around giving out to everybody, to clients, to projects, to the team, to the kids, etc., and realizing that you weren't actually looking after your own well-being. Mm. Kind of binge wellness, you know, when you felt really, really bad. Yeah. Uh, drinking too much, you know, et cetera. Um, and definitely, you can definitely get that under control 
uh, and get it working for you because it does make a massive difference. Uh, well, it does. It, it, it makes a difference. It's not just to you. It makes a difference yeah. to everyone around you. Exactly. You know, and actually your life is way better if they're all happy as well and working and trying to make it a better place without you just having to do it all yourself. Do you think you've, I mean, all the people I've spoken to, you seem to be the kind of guy that seems to have designed your life. Do you think you've designed your life? Uh, no, not not really. No, no. I, I would be. Um, I wouldn't have got into. Uh, I wouldn't have got my own life into DNAD. That's for sure. <laughs> it's not that good. It's not that good. But but no, we've 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 been you know lucky. We I mean David and I kind of genuinely look at what we've uh, had and without sounding too smug, you know, we are kind of, you know, we're we're amazed we got this far, mm. you know, and and I think, you know, the it's down to other people that have got us this far, and it's down to a good partnership where we. We trust each other implicitly, yeah. um, and neither of us has ever slacked. We've we've been hard workers, you know, um, and uh, and yeah, well, I, I do feel very lucky. It hasn't always felt lucky, but it it does right now. Well, it's interesting that because I mean, it could have been some partnerships just don't work. Yeah, like you guys have been. We well, must have worked on it to make it work, but it it has worked. I mean, D David always says the uh, reason we're we're better mates now than we were when we. I mean, we knew each other well, but we weren't kind of best mates when we started um but we are now you know and he he always puts it down to being five thousand miles apart yeah and I, he's probably right because you know um w we don't annoy each other with you know turning up late for every for, you know, for meetings and that kind of thing because we don't see each other that often mm. you know uh, we are the our interaction has always been about you know what is the quality of the work like mm. um and and that became a very, you know, and, and we would, by working and talking about those things together, we would actually end up with better work. And so, you know, better work, and then we could talk the problems through with each other of, you know, all the growing pains of business. Um, and uh, and so we had support for each other. Sounds like we're, it's a real bromance, right? Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> but it's great. And, you know, we, I mean, I was spent, you know, the, I was, you know, went on holiday with him this year. You know, I'm seeing him next week. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we try to see each other as often as yeah, we can. That's cool. And it's sort of, you know... What do you think the future of design is in this country? Um, we've we've always had this uh, slight imbalance in our company, which is that uh, by being in, a, in the US and being in the UK, uh, which is actually that the, the projects are bigger in America um, and they are better paid in mm -hmm. America. Um, really because of the scale i think really um and in london it's hard you know there's more many many more design shops in london than there are i don't know maybe new york has the same but the but the it's difficult you know it's a very very highly competitive thing and more and more and more people can do it at a, uh, at a discounted rate from their bedrooms mm -hmm. um I, the, the future for um, I think our kind of business and you know, I think your kind of business as well is is about being the best in the world, mm. and and I think if you are you know if you really are producing things that are the best in the world I don't know how you define that mm. but if you if your peers tell you and I don't know consumer research tells you whatever it is that you use as a measure yep. then then you'll always have a good business. Um, it's when the, the evil word is mediocrity. When that creeps in, mm. that's when you, you'll you'll look too expensive mm. because you won't be producing anything that people really, really, really want and prepared to pay a premium for. So I think it's you know you know when you think of our Amazon logo, it's been printed a hundred billion times, and then you think, well, if they'd have gone somewhere cheap and got that, they'd still have printed it a hundred billion times. Mm. 
but it, you know, would it be any good? You mm. know, and the difference is the the quality of the the repeat of the, the marks and the and the packaging and the trademarks that you repeat hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of times. You know, that's that's where quality counts. Uh, that, so I think we'll be fine as long as we keep standards high. There's a lot of people, as well as designers, there's a lot of people having a go in terms of mm. creating new products. You mean, um, you, I was down in Lewis in Sussex okay. the other day and just walking around going, oh, my God, there is hundreds of new aromatherapy companies popping up everywhere, candle companies, you know, the, people just having a go and creating a business. In Australia, it's like every single shop seems to be becoming, um, a, you know, a coffee shop. Um People are kind of breaking away from the big corporate organizations and just, you know, doing their own thing. Yeah, great. It's, it's kind of, yeah, it's great, but it's also a huge change because mm. the big corporations are losing their foothold um, in the market. You know, the Cokes of this world, there's a whole bunch of new businesses coming along, you know, startups that are going to take in kind of big share of their business. Yeah. I mean, it's, I've, I've never seen it like that before. No. It's, it's just so easy to and so available, isn't it? Yeah. You know, um, and and you know, good on them because they keep the big guys on their toes. Mm. You know, uh, I remember years ago working for Innocent Soft Drinks. You know, the little yeah. fruit smoothie company yeah. when they first started, and you know, and all of the things they were doing was because you know the big Tropicana's of the world and the kind of the big you know um, drinks companies of the world. You know, their processes didn't allow them to produce the freshness, and you know, it was too difficult. Um, at the scale they were at, and so there was a niche, right? And that niche became a market, and the, and you know, of course they eventually they were bought by Coke, right? Yeah, they would be. So that was a, um, you know, but they, and that's great, you know, because if there, there's obviously, you know, where the big companies, you know, aren't concentrating on what their consumers want, they'll they'll be somewhere to fill it in, you know. Great. Did you did you ever take a project on that you took a instead of fees you took a share of the business? Um, we we've we've done that a few times. Um, I mean, it's a difficult one. What we did was uh, we had a there was a wine company that where we instead of um, taking uh, they couldn't afford us, and so we took our, a share of uh, we reduced our fees, but we said you know if you this if you you know they gave us a percentage based on increased sales because of design uh, over a period of time, mm. and that worked for us quite well. Um, and, and we we have we have shares in a a, a snack company which. Um, if they ever sell, we might get some money for, but I don't look like selling. You know, mm. I think it's a difficult model to make work. I think, it'd but be it's good. worth a try every now and then. Yeah, every you now know, and why then. Not? I think uh, you could stumble on something that actually does turn uh, turn a corner. Yeah. The only problem with design companies is they often need the money in the business to yeah. keep the business going. You know. Yes, I'm sure. I'm sure we've had it, we've had examples where we were offered stuff and we didn't take it, and and I wish we had. Mm. <laughs> you know, because of exactly that. I mean, so who's going to pay? It's going to pay your staff, you know. So, so how, how being the chairman, how often are you in, involved in the business now? Well, I'm available once a week. Yeah. Um, and uh, and it's up to the team when they want it. And what I noticed recently was how little they've actually asked us for our opinion. And David was saying the same. Um, and I realized that, you know, as, you know, the next step for Turner Duckworth is to go really from 120 people to take the same quality and grow it, you mm. know, and see what the potential is, you know, mm. see, you know, and see what, how influential we could really be um, and maybe double the size, who knows. Mm. Um, and, and David was saying, I wonder if, he and I are the right people to advise them on that. You know, we were quite good from zero or two people yeah, yeah. to 120, but we've never done that before, you know. So maybe the people within the group are actually better ones to ask about how to do that than we are. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, and, and also, you know, every time they ask us, 
we just bang on about the same old stories. And they go, really, David Bruce? He's going to tell us that story again? <laughs> well, that's the continuity. Um, <laughs> yes, it is. So I think that's cool. Uh, it must feel liberating. Yeah. Um, and certainly great that you've done it at this, you know, at a young age too. Yeah. Because you're only yeah. kind of halfway. Plenty, plenty of runway, right? Plenty, yeah, exactly. Plenty of time. Plenty of time. Yeah. You can work out what you do now, I guess, with your time. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, I want to make sure that, um, you know, uh, I mean, I think part of it is doing this kind of thing, right? You know, is trying to help uh, 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 you know, people who have the germ of thinking, I wonder if I could do it. For them to, you know, I'd love to meet them for a beer and just say, this is exactly how I did it. I'll tell you all the numbers. I'll tell you everything because it is possible. And and if you think that David Turner and Bruce that were something special, then you are very much mistaken. You know, everyone can do this. Um, and it's worth having a go because what's the worst that can happen? The worst that can happen is you go and get another job. Mm. Yeah, I guess people are fear fearful of, of failure, aren't they? Yeah. And, and, of course, you can get yourself in some serious financial problems. But if you start with a... Um, you know, with the with a few basics, and um, and it helped that our fathers knew roughly what how to advise us on that. Um, but we, I could tell everybody that maybe I should um, take your job and do a podcast for this. I think you should. I'll interview take you. Take it over now. <laughs> um, but it's it's exciting to to give back and to help people. Um, I guess fast track their careers, but also help them avoid, you know, trouble yeah. or situations that they could avoid altogether. Because you can lose years and. Energy and, and you've also got to think about the people, people who are your coaches. Have they done it themselves? You know, have they yeah, actually yeah. been there? Do they understand that when they say take your first account personal, and you go, really, I've got to find you know forty five thousand pounds. You know, I don't even pay myself that. How am I going to do it? You know, that's a big commitment. Your first thing is a huge commitment, and um, and then they go and and you know and that's what we did, right? We had to do that. They, our first account people paid more than we were. Mm. Um, but you know, within somebody said to me, they'll they'll pay for themselves within six months, and they did. Um, but you need someone to help you with that. Yeah, it's, it's funny because when, when I remember leaving when I left Pentagram, I think I was paid thirty thousand uh, pounds. Yeah, you were looking. <laughs> a year. I was going to say a month, but it was a year. <laughs> a month, yeah, it probably uh, was Vince. <laughs> and I was and I was working twenty four seven, so they got the money, good good value. Um, but I remember in the beginning when I left to start my own business and. The phone didn't ring. Nobody knew I existed. Yeah. But it wasn't long. It wasn't probably maybe four months, five months. Whereas I, I quite quickly became charging that in a month. Yeah. You know? And you go, wow. Yeah. I was fearful of the well, what I perceived as being comfort of that $30,000 a year salary. Yeah. Pounds, sorry. Um, into a situation of, of unknown. and But trusting the fact that it doesn't take much to actually make start to make a living. No. I remember what, that. I remember that, that. You know that moment you're talking about when you when you because I was at I went from Minala Tatsil to Lewis Mabley and then to Turner Duckworth, and when I left Lewis Mabley, who are a kind of famous company, you yeah. know, and I remember the first day in the new office. Well, it wasn't even an office; it was a desk in the corner of someone else's office, and um, and thinking oh, all I need to do is say to people I used to work for Lewis Mabley and the jobs will come in, <laughs> and, and not only did they didn't they <laughs> they yeah. didn't come in at all. Um, but also nobody outside the design world knew who Lewis maybe were either. So it was that didn't even oh help us at God. all. Oh, my God. That's interesting. So it's, it's around your your personal brand, creating your own brand and your own reputation and your own existence, profile, mm. et cetera. Mm. That's vital, isn't it? We didn't really talk about that, yeah. but that's kind of like you can get lost in an organization. You can be invisible, even yeah. though you're doing your vital part of that business. 
when you go out onto your own, when you go out on your own, you're like nobody knows you exist. No, you're there really. Apart not. from your dad. Yeah, my, my and my mother. Actually. Yeah, both. She was quite close. Yeah. Um, at the uh, when we started our sort of uh, our sort of uh, mentor was Marcello Minali, and he 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 said to David and me he said um, he said one uh, one piece of advice having started a business with my name in the in the the, the title of the company. He said, I would never recommend anybody does that because yeah. they, they always want to meet the boss the whole time and yeah, yeah. gets to a point where there's too many jobs and not enough time. And, of course, we did the obvious thing, which is not take his advice. <laughs> that's and, people and do at that time. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And I so, did the same thing. And so we were called Turner Duckworth, and, and that was our names. And for a very short period of time, that really worked well for us because you got to meet the guys with the name on the door. Mm. Um, and actually, and then what happened, which is kind of interesting, was the internet happened. Mm. And then if we'd called ourselves... I don't know what else, maybe Concept Two Thousand or something. You know, there would have there are about twenty five thousand other people called Concept Two Thousand, yeah. but there's only one Turner Duckworth. Yeah, so it yeah, actually, yeah. and that uh, talking about personal branding is actually having your name on the door. Obviously, you know, wherever whatever happens to turn up with in the future, I guess they'll keep the name. I mean, they bought it, so I guess they'll keep it. Um, it means that you know my name goes with them, and that and that helps me. You know, um, you know. When you go, when you do things like when I did, um, you know, president of DNAD, that helps that your name is known. Mm, absolutely, um, it helps well, that's everybody. Why. That's why you're president of DNAD. Yes, it? it is. That's right. Yeah, but yeah, so that personal brand, if I suppose. But you is, spent your whole career, I guess, protecting your name, haven't you? Yeah, absolutely. So how do, how do you manage that now that someone else, you don't really have control over that? Um, I don't. Hmm? I mean, I don't. I mean, I do, I'll do this and I'll, you know, I, I would I would hope. Is it Leah Burnett said, you know, the day the work's not good enough, take my name off the door. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Um, and and I, I suppose that, I suppose in those kind of wise words, I'd hope that that would be true as well. Mm. You know? But I think that whilst we're involved and I think the team we've got working on it all have the right values, mm. um, that that won't happen. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and that's why you've got to, even if, you can't really afford it. You've got to be entering all the awards every year mm. just to, for your own kind of satisfaction to know if you're making the mark or you're not. And if you're not, you've got to figure it out mm. until you are. Mm. That's cool. Well, look, Bruce, it's been fantastic catching up with you. Yeah. Um, thank you for your time. So cool to be here with you in Soho. And um, uh, obviously wish you the best for your going um, you know, enterprises or whatever you're going to be doing. Yeah. Watch this space. Yeah. Tune into next podcast as we speak to Irish men and graphic designer Alan Abood, creative director of Abood Abood. He's renowned for his iconic and extensive work for fashion designer Paul Smith. If you enjoyed this episode and found it inspiring, please don't forget to review or subscribe. 